Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. We are so happy to have you here for another week's episode. If this happens to be your first time joining us for the podcast, welcome. Our goal in this entire podcast is to create content for outdoors men and women across all walks of life put out stuff that's engaging that's informative that's entertaining we like to swap plenty of good hunting stories i think we've accomplished all of that in this week's episode however before we get into that couple house cleaning items first if you would if you haven't done it yet please take some time and leave us a rating on Spotify or Apple Podcast. If it's Apple Podcast, if you want to be real nice, you can write us a review as well. I cannot emphasize how much this helps the show. Like It, it makes a tremendous difference uh, in how the show performs and new people finding us, so on and so forth. So I hate to harp on that, but I have to because it helps the show so very much. Now, we are in the latter part of October officially, which means we're getting dangerously close to the month of November. And for a lot of white toe hunters across the country, that means we're almost to the most wonderful time of year. And yes, obviously, I'm talking about the rut. So I want to direct you to our 2022 rut predictions blog. Based off of ample amounts of experience from our own Onyx crew and from our ambassadors, also based off of science, biology, moon phases, and maybe just a touch of superstition, this Rut Prediction blog is an excellent resource that will get you geared up and ready for those few magical days when bucks are at their most vulnerable state. So give it a look at onyxmaps.com. Getting ready for the rut also means you need to have everything you need before you head out into the woods. Onyx Hunt Elite members, make sure you're taking full advantage of that membership. As an Elite member, you get access to special deals from Lone Wolf Custom Gear, First Light, a Hunting Public Deer School, Primos, just to name a few. There's a whole lot more. So if you're an Elite member, be sure that you're checking all of that out and taking advantage of it. And if you're not an Elite member already, I would highly suggest you becoming one. The values are endless. It pays for itself. Now moving into today's episode, today we'll be talking to a man by the name of Ricky Matthews. Now, there's a lot of things you can say about Ricky Matthews, but in my opinion, the first thing that you need to know about him is he is about as down to the core, true blue of an outdoorsman as you will ever find. Ricky is also the host of Coast View and Super Talk Outdoors, both shows that I listen to and enjoy regularly, part of the Mississippi Super Talk Network. He's a former president of three different Mississippi Gulf Coast newspapers, one of which he led to a Pulitzer Gold Medal back in 2006 as a result of some of the work they did in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. The more I talk about him, the more he starts to sound like that dude from that Most Interesting Man in the World commercial. <laughs> one of the things that I've always appreciated about Ricky, and honestly one of the reasons he's on this podcast, is he appreciates and participates in a full spectrum of outdoor recreation, from deer hunting in the Delta to saltwater fishing down off the Mississippi Gulf Coast. The man is very experienced all throughout the Mississippi outdoors. And so today, he and I sat down and had a conversation about what he calls the capital of the outdoors. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Before we get into it, I'm going to have to ask for some leniency, forgiveness, and I'm going to have to ask for y'all to bear with us just a little bit when it comes to this week's audio. Not a whole lot, just, just a little bit, but I'm asking you to bear with us. This is nobody's fault but mine. I think my recording and I think my recording equipment and my soundboard is going out on me. Uh, I'm going to have it fixed by next week. And I 
worked tooth and nail fighting this thing for hours to where I could get it to where I thought it was adequate to publish and for y'all to listen to. So there's a chance y'all may listen to it and be like, there's really not, there's, that audio is fine, but it is not the quality that I like to put out. Again, nobody's fault but mine, and I'm asking y'all just bear with us and we'll get it fixed. But for now, we will get into the episode. We'll get into the conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to Ricky Matthews as much as I do. Enjoy the show. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I feel like this has been this has been something that I've been wanting and needing to reciprocate for a while now because I've been able to come on your show, Coast View, three or four times now. Yeah. And yeah. Super Talk Outdoors, of course. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, it's always been fun. And so the, from the first conversation that I've had with you, um, you know, because we've gotten to know each other a little bit now, but from the first conversation, I just, I didn't know you know, just kind of getting to know you. I was like, man, this guy has some passion is such an overused word, has some like deep rooted love for Mississippi outdoors, like encompassing all of it, not just one factor here or there. You just really appreciate the full spectrum. And I wanted to get you on here to kind of discuss that. Yeah, it's good. Hey, by the way, I remember the first time because I've got a one of the farms we lease is over in Shula. And uh, I had been talking with Will, and I said, you know, he said, if you're ever near there, come by and see us. And I said, well, I'm going to go. For, this is when you guys were still at Kudzu Bluff. And I said, okay, I'm going to go see if I can find you. I pulled up. I think you were there with your family. You didn't know who I was from Adam. And I said, well, just, you know, you know just tell Will I said uh, hello, and I kind of kind of barked at you up on the second floor, and then I left. But we ultimately were able to get you on the show, and we got to know each other better. And it's been a pleasure because you guys, I'll tell you, you guys on the Primos team have done such a great job of sharing the culture of Mississippi hunting to the world. And, mm-hmm. uh, and obviously, you've gone beyond that. But I've referred to you on my show as ambassadors. I mean, while you may go all over the place and in some cases even overseas, the reality is you're always an ambassador from Mississippi. And that always impressed me and was important. And, uh, you know, I've honored that by having you on my show and telling you that. So. It's, it's a pleasure to get to know you better. Likewise. Likewise. And, and I appreciate you saying that. It, it's um, Primo's was still is. When I was a child, Primo's, I looked up to them so much for that very reason. I couldn't articulate it at that age. But something that was always kind of magnetic about them to me was that they, they didn't just they weren't out there just trying to kill a big deer or what it was they just always seemed to really appreciate what was going on and that to me helped develop my attitude towards the outdoors so to speak so talking about you and again i feel like i'm in a this is a unique situation for me because every other time we've done this you've been the one that's been able to ask the questions and so i'm excited to be the one to ask you some questions this go around tell me like like Go back for me. Like, where did all of this start for you? You you can't just be born with an innate, deep love for Mississippi and the outdoors and all that. Where where did all this begin? Give me some background. Well, my, okay, so I was born in Birmingham, Alabama, and along the way, I uh, had parts of my family that actually lived in Pensacola. So my my grandfathers, you know, for starters, loved the outdoors. My dad loved the outdoors. He wasn't a deer hunter. He wasn't a duck hunter. You know, I think maybe uh, mostly dove and squirrel was kind of his thing. He loved to fish. My dad worked a lot, so you know he didn't get the opportunity to take me as much as maybe my grandfather's had the opportunity to do. But I can remember really at a very young age, 
with the 16 gauge I still have today, Winchester, going squirrel hunting with my dad and my grandfather in the woods and, you know, outside of Birmingham, you know, and some, some just great memories. But then when my, my mother's parents lived in Pensacola and we had a house on Pensacola Beach for, for, for a period of time, every summer I'd go there for weeks at a time. And we would, I, I learned how to fish around some great fishermen, fishing, you know, saltwater fishing on the pier at Pensacola Beach. And I just fell in love with it, man. And so as I, as I started to grow up and, you know, my dad had a boat, but not a really big boat, not one that we could get offshore in. I spent a lot of time on the piers of coastal Mississippi and just mm -hmm. learning how to fish and, you know, actually using a lot of the techniques that I learned in Florida on, on the piers here in Mississippi. And we catch redfish and sharks and, you know, all kinds of different fish. And I remember standing on the end of Courthouse Road Pier once, which is a, a really popular pier here in coastal Mississippi, and thinking as I saw big boats go by that one day I'm going to own a big boat. You know, I'm going to. I, I really said I set out to, to try to be successful in my life because it came. I, I, it became very clear to me that in order to be to have a boat <laughs> and to have places to hunt, you had to have some success in your life. And so, uh, you know, I was in pre-med for a while. I actually was, I became a paramedic and was in pre-med for a while. But ultimately, I changed my major to business. We did an internship at the Sun-Herald newspaper. And uh, 27 years later, you know, I had already I'd been through just about every department of the company and, uh, and became president of the company and the publisher of the newspaper. I left there in 2009 and went on that mobile and then to New Orleans. And uh, worked for the largest privately owned media company in the United States. What a great opportunity that was for me. But, but uh, you know, along the way, you know, I just continued to have some success and, you know, got one boat and then another and started. Fi I fished the Southern Kingfish Association uh, tournament trail with my, with my best friend for many, 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 many years until my kids came along. And, uh, you know, I tell you, the more I absorbed myself, the more in love I became, you know, the, mm -hmm. the more in love I, I became of uh, the outdoors. Um, was president of the Mississippi Wildlife Federation at one point along the way. And, and that introduced me to so many amazing people and got to start hunting in the Mississippi Delta and started getting exposed to all of that. And fast forward, you know, finally I was, you know, able to retire, but I, I leased uh, three farms in the Mississippi Delta and live here on the water in Biloxi. And, you know, fish offshore every chance I get. I have two sons and a daughter who loves to hunt. My wife loves to fish. So, um, you know, so it's kind of, you know, that's, that's a quick story, but that's how I got to where I am. And it, my love for the outdoors is as strong today as it's ever been. Yeah. And it, it comes through in every episode you put out and every time you talk and, and, and all that. And that's one thing that's, well, I don't want to get to that yet. I'll, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself here. Uh, when you get a lot of folks, if they get the opportunity to deer hunt in the Mississippi Delta, more often than not, that's where they tend to want to go back to for a lot of reasons. I mean, the, the, the Delta is, it's, it's legendary for, for a lot of reasons, waterfowl and deer hunting in particular as it, in um, respects to this conversation. But, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the Delta is a lot of folks. I mean, I grew up in central Mississippi and pine rows and pine thickets and you you see you know good many deer but i rem i will never forget the first time that i got to deer hunt in the delta and it, it's like a whole different world it's a whole different game it's a whole almost whole different animal the deer are bigger um they, they're just i mean like a the the first buck 
that I remember being able to put my hands on that was that was killed in the Delta. I could not believe how big it was. And I'm not talking about his antlers. I'm talking about his body size. You know, I mean, they're just big, broad, thick deer. And it's just it's it's it, it's gravitating. It pulls you back in. It, I saw when you were talking about this big deer, you know, deer over 200 pounds, obviously many yeah. deer, 250 plus. My son was, Jordan was hunting a couple of years ago over in Mentor City on a farm we leased there. And he sent me a picture of a deer that was about 350 yards away. You know, he didn't try to shoot it, obviously, but it did, actually, it did work its way toward him. And he, he this, you know, the text messages would go something like this. Oh my God, dad, you're not going to believe this. I have an elephant in front of me. And he sent a picture and, and I'm, listen, this deer weighed 300 pounds. I bet it weighed 300 pounds. And, I, and one day I'll find the picture and share it with you. You're, not, you're literally not going to believe it. I, it's like maybe he had some kind of a hormone, hormone issue or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the way the messages went, he said, got an elephant in front of me. I, oh, it's got a broken G2. I said, don't, 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 if you get a shot, shoot it. You know, that can be fixed or maybe you don't want to fix it. And they said, oh, no, I see, I see, you know, there's a piece off his main beam that, that's broken off. And I said, that doesn't matter, you know. Oh my gosh! One of his brow tines is gone. So this guy was just completely beat up. Yeah. But he never. He sorry about my phone ringing. He never. He never got a shot at it. But he got a bunch of pictures of it. And dude, yeah. this this deer was huge, absolutely huge. But it's not unusual. We see that a lot in 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 the Delta for sure. Yeah. When uh, it was our first year hunting at Cottonmouth, which is right on the river. And uh, we were under DMAP, Deer Management Assistance Program, which is one of the many reasons why I love our Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, because they have programs like that in place. Um, shameless plug there. Uh, we had this four-point that we were getting. I mean, literally, it was, a, it was a four-point. But it was a, without a doubt, like without a doubt, a mature, a mature buck. And we were like, this is, a, this is a management deer if there ever was one. And we could tell you the big, big blocky deer. Brad ends up shooting that deer, and I do remember seeing that deer when he was coming. He was working his waves in a dewberry thicket, and uh, I was just like, "That is a big deer." And I had seen a few delta deer at that point, so I mean, I wasn't, but I was like, "That's a big deer, two hundred and eighty-six pounds." That deer, <laughs> I'd never. Well, I mean, I mean, when when we got it, Brad was like, "Holy smokes!" And we went to try to drag him, and we were like, "Uh, this is a problem." <laughs> And we hung up on the scales, 286. I think I think when I was, what, the six years we were at Cottonmouth, I think that's the heaviest one that we killed. Yeah, I mean, 286. Unbelievably <laughs> large. You know, not you know, not even two people can put that in the back of a pickup truck. It requires, you know, almost a lift. Hey, but, you know, you mentioned Cottonmouth. I've had mm. the opportunity the last couple of years, uh, real good friends of mine, Chris Gurris and Bo Mandel on land on Kings Point. Mm-hmm. And outside of Vicksburg, and I don't know, just something about that river land, man. Those those bottoms in the river, I and, and they apologize. Yeah, you know, of course, you know we we have good deer, and we've killed some really good deer last year. But but you know they apologize when we do a, a hunt and maybe see ten or fifteen deer. Say, I'm so sorry, you know the flood. We're still coming back from the flood and whatever. Mm-hmm. So are you kidding me? I mean, we had one of the best hunts we've had in a long time, man. That's just yeah. incredible there. It, it, you know, it bounces back. And as we've learned from our friend uh, William McKinley from the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, mm-hmm. what they've learned by putting these these collars on these on these deer has been incredible, really. I mean, that a third's going to hang close. A third's going to go out one to five. And, and, and a third, you don't know where they're going to go. I mean, they had that one buck that went 
over 25 miles away. You know, it swam the Mississippi River four times in one year. So, you know, we're learning a lot about it. And when the flood happens, the, the deer have a way of kind of finding their way back. It, it's, a, it's an amazing thing about nature. It's absolutely crazy. And then uh, this will talking about, I've heard you say several times, uh, the Mississippi is the, the capital of the outdoors. And yeah. when you say that, I mean, of course, you know, when you say something, everyone has their own idea of it. When the first time I heard you say that, the first thing that came into my head was those islands on the river, particularly like um, Cottonmouth or Togo Island. I think about one of those places in late December, January, when the river's high, not high enough that it gets flooded out, but high enough and you're seeing you're seeing ducks, you're seeing deer, it's cool. I mean, it's just beautiful. When that that's what comes to my yeah. mind when you when I when I heard you say that, it's just that those so wildlife dense riverlands. And and I think of that too. And I, I think people don't fully appreciate how diverse the hunting and fishing opportunities are in the state. And you know, when you say when you say, you know, when you make the point that I say on my show, uh, uh, Super Talk Outdoors all the time, that Mississippi is the capital of the outdoors. And, I'm, and I know that people from Iowa and Illinois and Wyoming and Montana and New Mexico and Colorado, they're listening and going, there's no way. But let me, let me make my case real quickly. Mm. Think about, first of all, the Mississippi Flyway. And you, you've got great duck hunting along. And look, migration patterns might have changed some. You got, you know, winter's got to work for you. You need, you need big bodies of water. Okay, all that's true. The reality is the duck hunting in Mississippi can be incredible. The deer hunting is so diverse. I don't care where you go, whether it's in coastal Mississippi, in places like Stone County, or the Mississippi Delta, and all the points in between. There's some great turkey, I mean, excuse me, uh, deer, deer hunting here. Turkey hunting in Mississippi is incredible, as you well know. Look behind you now. It's incredible. And then when you mix in the freshwater fishing, and then this, the, here's the thing that my friends from Iowa need to hear, that you mix in, uh, you, you mix in saltwater fishing, and, and, and now you're starting to really kind of add to the ledger that says this is a great place to live, and this might be the capital of the outdoors. I can leave my back. I can go out on my pier now, get in the boat, and run 30 to 100 miles, wherever, wherever I decide to go, and do reef fishing, Fish at the Louisiana Louisiana oil rigs from the coast of Mississippi. Um, you know, in February we can catch. I had one trip where we caught a 135, 145, and 155 yellowfin tuna all in the same day, uh, and a 90 plus amber, pound amberjack. And then you think of the back, backwater fishing with speckled trout and redfish. Well, I mean, I could go on. You know, I've spent my life understanding and appreciating it, but. That's why I say Mississippi is the capital of the outdoors. Now, look, I grew up in Alabama and, and I fished in Florida and I know I have friends in all these states that we mentioned and they can make their cases. But, mm -hmm. but you know, come here and see it for yourself and you're going to go, holy mackerel, I had no idea. Yeah. No, I, and I guess it's, it's like one of those things where if you're so close to it, sometimes you can take it for granted. You know, I was a, I'm a Mississippi native. Um, and I, honestly, you were the first, I mean, I've, Will, you know, Will Primos, Will Primos loves this state, loves, um, you know, the, the outdoor recreation that this state that this state offers, loves all the natural resources, but I'd never heard someone articulate Mississippi as the capital of outdoors until I met you. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, he's kind of got a point. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, you can give, you'll find better, you know, elk hunting somewhere and we don't have sure. mule deer. And I, you know, I could go on and on about that. Okay. So there, there are, 
there's segments of the outdoors we can't appreciate here in coastal Mississippi and say in Mississippi. But again, you got to add it all up. You got to start adding those things to the ledger, and that's what makes a difference. And look, when you've had the opportunity to be all over America, you know, you mentioned Will. Will has traveled all over the world for many, many years. I think about Toxy Hayes, for example, from Mossy Oaks and, and what he, you know, what he's, you know, d- done. And when he talks about his passion for Mississippi, that's why I think, you know, coming back to what I said about you and Jordan and, 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 and Brad and all of you guys, Jimmy, you're ambassadors for the state, but people who get to understand what this state is all about, they, they don't see it as last. You know, Mississippi might be last in a lot of things, but it ain't last in hunting and fishing. I can assure you that. Yeah, no, there's there's zero zero argument there. I guess so. Like, if you if you were gonna like if you were gonna if someone traveled down from somewhere you know in the northeast and they were like, I want to experience Mississippi outdoors. What if I mean, given any time of year, you know, geographical location within the state doesn't matter. What's going to be, what, what's the first thing you're going to want to take them to do for someone that appreciates this grand spectrum of things? It, it depends on the time of the year. Okay. So if it's like early summer uh, and Amberjack uh, season is open and maybe some red snapper season is open, we, we, would, go, we would go south mm-hmm. and we'd go about 55 or 60 miles south and we would have the time of their life. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's winter time. It's interesting though, you know, we could we could maybe do a quick two day thing, which uh, we would get up the first morning, and we'd go duck hunting in Shula, and mm-hmm. then we would go we we would go uh, deer hunting in the afternoon, and any number of incredible places, <laughs> and then the next morning we'd get up and drive to the coast, and have a kind of a leisurely day seeing you know this great state, and then we would go since it's wintertime now we we'd grab one of the backwater boats and go catch some some redfish and, and uh, speckled trout. And we would only run about a minute and a half, and then we'd start fishing. So you you start to you know really take all that in, and it, and it, you see, man, just one of the only places in the world where you can have some of the world class duck and deer hunting, and then it, maybe even in that same day you could you could also catch some redfish and speckled trout. I mean, it's just incredible, really, if you think about it. No, it is. It's it's so, and and the reason that, like, I guess it's interesting to talk to you because everyone's perspective is different, right? So, like me, you know, I don't think about the coastal fishing as much because I haven't been able to spend as much time down there. What time I have spent down there, I've absolutely loved. I love redfish, love speckled trout. Gotten to catch some tuna, not near. I've never caught any of the ones of the sizes that you just listed off, but. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I would be thinking more about like freshwater fishing because that's simply what I grew up doing. You know, I grew up real close, you know, to the Pearl River and the Ross Barnett Reservoir, and that's that's where we fished. And then I grew up heavy in the deer hunting, heavy in the turkey hunting, and that that's what you know. Every, everyone's experience, what they would want to share someone with someone is different, but it really is when you sit back there and think about it, you think about just a vast array of things that we have the opportunity to do here in the state. It's pretty wild. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty. When people think of coastal Mississippi, they don't think of, for example, uh, the, the coastal Mississippi. They don't think of the Pascoe River complex. You know, one of the yeah. largest, if not the largest, undammed waterway in the entire continental United States. And what it is is not just a river, but just this incredible uh, wetland area that has some great uh, duck hunting and obviously incredible fishing. 
Um, you know, you know, they don't think of Lake Anid and and what it has there and the crappie fishing in this state. You know, you know, near world records or world. You know what I'm saying? I mean, this this mm-hmm. place is special, and uh, every state's special. Again, I again I spent a lot of time in Alabama growing up. I was publisher of the newspaper in Mobile and had responsibilities for Birmingham and Huntsville. So I've traveled that state and know it extraordinarily well. Um, and great fishing off the shore there as well, but they don't have a Mississippi Delta there. <laughs> they don't have, you know what I'm saying? There's something yeah. about being on that Mississippi River that gives us kind of a leg up for sure. The Mississippi River is is it's 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 its own ecosystem. It's its own thing. When you get in that 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 Mississippi River alluvial valley, it's its own world. I mean, and it's so that talk about diversity. I mean, I know the entire state has it, but the amount of diversity and the amount of opportunity you have in that area i mean i know that like the talking about turkeys of course i'm turkey i'm a turkey fanatic so the the delta itself is not known for turkey hunting i know that but if you get in some pockets that has it like like togo island um has a good turkey population if you are ever able to get on a turkey hunt along the mississippi river oh my gosh like it's something about that talking about um Dr. Mike Chamberlain is known as one of like the like the foremost knowledgeable person on the wild turkeys these days. One I asked him, he's been on the podcast a couple of times, but the one like piece of pride that I hold is that I was able to ask him a question that stumped him a little bit. And it was about turkey hunting along the Mississippi River. You could have I guess we'd have to go back and listen to that episode, but um just everything along that delta and along that river is it's unbelievable. Look, here's here's on our main farm, which is between Greenwood and um, uh, Blackhawk. So it's you know about 500 acres is in the hills and 500 yeah. acres is in the delta. Here is a turkey. <laughs> look at the size of long beard. It's got double beard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And look, I mean, I don't know how long. I mean, it's, it's almost dragging the, the ground. Is the the beard so long on it? But it's a uh, it's special, man. <laughs> it's special. Mm. So uh, I actually I killed my first deer, very first deer, you know, not long ago. I mean, see, I say deer. I mean, I meant turkey. Uh, not long ago, actually, up in uh, Walnut, Mississippi. Uh, you know, right up on the Tennessee yeah. line. Yeah, and it was a great experience. I just didn't grow up turkey hunting, and my son Jordan loves the turkey hunting. I've been with him many times, but that was really the first you know time that I you know said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna really get serious and and shoot my first turkey, and I did. But and I see why it's addictive, man. When you're having that conversation with that bird, and I mean, it is like incredibly addicting. Yeah, it, it's it's one of to this day, you know, talking about um, a common question that I get is that like if you could turkey hunt anywhere in the world, where are you going to go? And they ask me that question because of the primo stuff, and they know I've kind of traveled a lot. I've been incredibly fortunate in that respect. But it's like, if I think about the kind of turkey hunting that I love the most, I'm going to be in this state. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be home. I'm going to be listening to these hard gobbling spring turkeys because there's nothing. <laughs> I love hunting other states. I'm going to continue to do it. I love traveling, but nothing beats home. I know. Nothing yeah. beats home. Hey, listen, my son Jordan, when he was at Ole Miss Law School, <clears throat> he would get up at like 3 o'clock in the morning during turkey season and go to public land. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... He pursued this one bird, man. He had to walk up and down hills, and finally he found where this bird was hanging out. He pursued this one bird for several weeks. Mm-hmm. And he, he still describes it as the best turkey hunt of his entire life. 
and he never pulled the trigger. I get that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, they just, he got close a couple of times. <clears throat> he thinks either he left or maybe somebody else got it. Cause obviously it's on public land, but it was, he pursued it for, for every morning for a very long period of time mm-hmm. and got, almost got it, <clears throat> but still he didn't pull the trigger. And it was, again, he describes it as epic. I, that, I, you understand that, don't you? Oh, to a, to a very, yes. Without even hearing the story in detail, I understand where he's coming from. Because those are the things like that. It doesn't even have to be turkey on, but that's where where I tend to learn the most. It's the ones where I struggle. I mean, like the easy hunts or the, the easy fishing trips. Those are nice. I love them when they come my way. They don't come my way that often. But when they come, they're appreciated. The ones that are difficult, the ones that require me to bend my brain and learn how to do something different or try something new. That's where I learn. That's why, that's why I appreciate when I was in college, uh, the, the, the big piece of public ground up there, I grew up hunting on a national forest, but I had never seen pressure like I had at that because it was like every student at Mississippi state hunted that place. And the first spring that I was there, I did not kill a turkey on that forest. I got my teeth kicked in (laughs) the next spring. Oh, it was bad. Oh, it was so bad. The next spring, I killed a turkey on that forest the fourth day of the season. And it was it was like a if you if you if I just told that part of the story, it'd be like, oh, you killed a turkey out there on the fourth day of the season. That's pretty cool. It was pretty much a continuation of the spring before. It was putting puzzle pieces together of the time I'd put in. I was in a similar area that I'd hunted and I was just able to finally piece it all together and make it work. To this day, that's one of my favorite turkey hunts of all time. It's, a, it's, it's in those. It's yeah, it, it, and I love where it's it's like in those big. It's it's like it's in the hills, rolling mixed pines and hardwoods, like just beautiful, you know, national forest woods. I mean, it was gorgeous. Yeah. So here, here, you know, that's the beauty of the outdoors. I mean, mm-hmm. like you think about some of the best hunts we've ever been on, we never pulled the trigger. It's just being in the moment and. I heard your podcast with with uh, Brad the other day talking about planting food plots, which we're all in the process of doing. But mm-hmm. you know, the hunting experience is all about that. It's the camaraderie. It's it's being able to enjoy the outdoors with the kids. It's not necessarily pulling the trigger. So when you when you talk about one of the most fun and most epic hunts you've ever been on, and you didn't pull the trigger, I think every good hunter, every dedicated hunter, has a similar story. I think about fishing off co- off the coast of Mississippi. Uh, actually not long ago actually we went out and you know we 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 go loaded to bear because we never know what we're going to come across and this right. time of year the water gets the blue water gets closer in you might find a weed line or whatever we went to do some amberjack fishing we had to work pretty hard for the amberjack got a couple of amberjack that we kept and then we were headed back home the water was beautiful man flying fish all over the place mm. we just couldn't find any rip lines or anything like that and we got almost out of that zone, you know, where if you go any further north coming back toward the coast, uh, you, you, you probably won't find what we were looking for. But out in the middle of nowhere, man, we came up on this tree, this, this tree that just floating. And we pulled up to it, and it was loaded in triple tail and oh. little fish and mahi-mahi. And, I mean, the th- man, it was, uh, it was absolute pandemonium. I mean, every cast. We were catching really nice mahi mahi on light tackle, and it it took a trip that was man we really had to work hard for. It took a trip like that and turned it epic just uh, just in a moment's notice. And that's what's great about the outdoors—you never know where that big surprise is coming from. How many hunts have you been on, Lake? 
where you're like, oh my gosh, this is what a bust. I mean, I, days and we've been doing this and nothing. And then suddenly it all I, comes I've, together. I've caught myself. I don't think, I don't think I've ever killed a deer, a turkey, whatever, when I expect to. I don't think, <laughs> think about it. Think about it. Like of all the successful hunts or fishing trips that you had, like if I, I've gotten to where, if I'm like, man, I, it may happen. It rarely does. It's always all the times you're not really expecting it and you have to like, oh, you know, kind of call Omaha audible. I wasn't expecting it to happen right now. Uh, yeah, there's been, but ones, you know, specifically like you're talking about where I'm like, this is so far from right. This is just dead wrong. I mean, and that's when something happens and you just don't even begin to expect it. I mean, there was one. Like the big, this is the biggest deer that I ever killed. Like I was talking about earlier, I grew up in central Mississippi. Uh, we had family land further north in, um, in Webster County, very still much in the pine rows. And this has been, I was in college. I was like 20 years old, I think. Uh, to this day is the biggest deer I ever killed on that piece of family ground. And it was cold. Like it was January and it was, it was very cold. For, for I mean, it was probably in the twenties enough so that the the ground was frozen, and you know how it gets. I mean, everything's crunching like that, and it was January up there, in which you still have some deer doing some rutting stuff. Which, you know, it was hit or miss whether you catch any of that in that part of the in that part of the state. And but and I was running late because you know I, I hung out. I mean, I think a class ran late if I remember wrong, but I, I drive all the way out there to my family land from school i get out there and there's this food plot that i wanted to go to and i get to it and i start walking across to get to my ladder stand and i remember everything sounded so loud as i walked because the ground was frozen the only thing i could think to do and i felt so dumb doing it is i pulled out my grunt call and i would crunch and i would grunt and i would walk and crunch and i would grunt and i'm thinking i'm i even as i'm doing it i'm like this is stupid i was like i'm already late this is something like thing that i saw on a video that i worked one time i was like i'm just sitting here because it's a pretty afternoon and why not i had no longer i'd pulled my gun up on a string and racked a, a bullet in the chamber and i look up and there's the biggest buck i've ever seen on that piece of ground standing in the back of the food plot looking my direction with his head back and i was like oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> and that's the definition that the of getting to that awesome? happen yeah. But, you know, you, again, you've had William McKinley on your show, but, you know, he's such a dedicated, uh, dedicated servant uh, in the Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. And what he said is, because of this research they've done, he said, it doesn't matter. And this, is, this would be true anywhere in the, in, the, in the country where they do whitetail deer hunting, that just because, you know, don't hunt based on what you have on camera. Because in like in early October, the deer might transition out, a new deer might transition in. Don't don't decide that you're going to go to certain places because maybe something's not on the camera. Because the reality is, there are so many deer. That might be a deer that comes from ten miles away to suddenly show up on your property. You don't mm -hmm. like. Did you know that deer was there? Did you have that deer on camera? Do you have any any history with that deer? There's Nobody. There's no telling where it came from, really. And you know that's the beauty of hunting, man. It's just the opportunity gets surprised. You know. Oh yeah. Us out in the middle of nowhere in the Gulf of Mexico would come up on this one one tree, just a tree out. In, we came up on a bucket once, a, literally a bucket floating. And there probably were 50 triple tail on that bucket. 
I mean, I'm not kidding you. It's uh, you. It's this opportunity to be surprised, and it, and in, and in that moment, it overwhelms your senses. It literally mm-hmm. overwhelms your senses, and 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 that the feeling you have in that moment, all the work that you get did to get to that moment, and now you're feeling that it's addictive, and that's that's what keeps you coming back for more, and that's why kids that hunt and fish have a real good opportunity in this day of the digital age, have a great opportunity to succeed in life because they, they're staying connected to those roots. And that's so darn important, but you know, you hope that they feel that too. And then once they feel it, man, if they get it in their bones, cause it's already in their DNA, they'll, they'll come back again. And it's yeah. often to watch. It, really yeah. is. it is. You get those moments like that. They're rare. And even, I mean, even not, not all the successful hunts, give you there's some that just give you a little bit more intensely than others like that like as i was telling you that story about that deer the you know the one that i didn't think i was going to kill and and all that as i was telling you the story i, I could i could feel myself back in that ladder stand i could, i mean because that it stuck with me so much like i can i can remember it i can remember my fingers being cold i can remember the second i laid eyes on that deer my hand started shaking i can remember when I shot him falling and then just being just sitting there in that tree stand going, what just happened? What just happened? I remember all of it. And it's like, it's that feelings like that, that give you, I mean, it gives you so many incredible things. One of which it gives you that memory to hold on to. And two gives you that, like, I can't tell you how many people I've told that story to, you know, <laughs> gives you a story to swap around the campfire. Part it, of it. It makes it. And speaking of around the campfire, uh, I can distinctly remember the three deer that I missed. <laughs> and look, my son will never forget the three deer that I missed. And my, my best friends will never forget the three deer that I missed. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when you, again, gosh, that's just part of the fun, man. The, the, the being able to cut up. And that's one of the things that made Primo's Truth About Hunting such a popular show across America for so long is all that authenticity, you know, that, yeah. You know, guys who who have a strong belief in the outdoors and each other and brotherhood and and you guys not faking it. You know, I think, you know, you've you've said this a billion times, it's worthy of being said again, that too many people are focused on the big deer, too many people are focused on not letting the facts get in the way of a good presentation. And you guys are just you're you're able to convey authenticity and what's in the heart and soul of Mississippians is what a lot that a lot of that is about. And it it's appealing to people and they, they connect mm-hmm. to it. One of the reasons your podcast is so popular, people like that. They like that, that, that commitment and that, you know, that enthusiasm and sort of that Mississippi approach. And it, and it's, it's a winning, it's a winning strategy. I, I appreciate that. I, I really do. And, and you're right. I mean, um, it was, it was probably second or third year in my primo's career when they had started letting, when I I'd started being, um, significantly out in front of the camera i was doing more in front of the camera things and uh during that turkey season i missed like three or four turkeys on video and uh and it was it was like one of those things um where the first one like the first miss happened and it just like crumpled me like like meant like i was just a basket case you know between the ears and every time turkey would come in i just fell apart and just because it was like I hadn't missed one on video before and it was just all these things happening and, and, uh, you know, people were giving me grief and I was, I mean, I was a good bit younger. I was probably 23, 24 years old. And it was like, 
I didn't know how to handle it. You know, I was like, I, I thought, and it first, and Will was one of the ones to keep me in check. It was like, it was a, it was a pride thing, you know, cause it hurt my pride. I'm supposed to be, you know, shooting the turkeys on video. I'm not supposed to be missing them. Uh, and I still, I mean, like I, I'm missing turkey probably this spring. I don't know, but to this day, the thing that I had to learn from it is one, like I said, it's an authentic thing because there's not a hunter out there that has done this for any stretch of time that hasn't missed something and it makes you more real and to this day like i hear more about that season of shows during the turkey episode because i missed so many turkeys people want to talk about that more than any other thing (laughs) they just want to talk (laughs) and they just and it's funny man i go back and look at it now i'm like that is pretty hilarious if you go back and watch it I'm glad of mine weren't. A, hey, real, I, I know we're gonna shift gears and we're getting close to the end, but I just to, to share one little of the three the three scenarios. The one that is the most significant. I was in a field we call Trump Tower. It's a it's a, a tripod that's really high and yeah. overlooks a, a field. It's got it's got a finger and it's got some got some uh, great bottom behind it, and it's close to our camp. So when you shoot there, people inside the camp can hear the shot. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to go Trump Tower. And this deer we call Holyfield, this beautiful 10 point, came out of the finger with a doe. And I'm like, I couldn't believe my eyes, but it was 300 yards. And look, I'm in a tripod and I'm not making any excuses. It's just not super stable where I had the I couldn't get the I couldn't get the crosshairs to be still. So I shot and it looked up and it just you know, stayed there. And then I shot again. And then I shot again. So I only had three bullets. I, you know, now I'll bring more. But I mean, look, if you need more than three bullets, deer hunting, you got a problem. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> my, my sons immediately text me and say, Dad, Dad, that's so awesome. Did you get it? I said, I missed and I don't have any bullets. And Jordan and I said, where? They said, where's the deer? Well, it went back into the finger. With, with It's locked down on this day. Okay, stay there and bring in your gun. <laughs> he brings me a gun. I sit in, in this tripod for another like hour and a half, man. They've cooked breakfast. They've eaten breakfast. It comes back out again. And I shoot again. And I miss again. Oh, so no. I literally laid the gun down. And I watched it. It looked up and looked at me. It goes over to the back, about 400 yards away, jumps the ditch. It comes down the back hill of the ditch. Then it stops and comes back on top of the ditch and looks out into the field, just looks. And then it just turns around and walks away. Oh, no. Now, look, we never saw the deer again. But, oh. So, you know, I don't know. I either ran it off or maybe I injured it. But <clears throat> super, super embarrassing moment in my life. But, dude, everybody's got stories like that. It happens. And, and, you, and when you're in the outdoors, you better have thick skin. And you better be able to laugh at yourself. Because, as you say, it is, you can't be perfect. There's always going to be an imperfect scenario that, that lays out in front of you. And you have to make the best of it, and not all the time do you do you do you succeed. That's just the reality of it. No, no, you don't. And like it, it, life got easier for me when I was when I uh, learned to be able to laugh at myself. It just got a lot easier, <laughs> you know. Uh, well, look, I know we're 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 I'm cutting close on on time, and I know you're a busy man. You're actually trying. I know you're trying to go up and do some go up to your deer camp and do some stuff today. Which, of of course, why wouldn't you? The weather, the time of year, why wouldn't you? Uh, but I would be remiss if I had you on the show and I did not bring up. Um, you do a, so much work outside of you just being, you know, a, a a lover of the of all things outdoors. You do so much work within just getting knowledge out there through your show. 
but then also helping get try to get laws get passed, bills get passed. And one thing that you and Will have worked on together is this stewardship trust fund. And so if you could just kind of, I guess, update us a little bit about that. I'll give, I'll give it to you in a nutshell. Uh, we passed it this year. The governor mm-hmm. signed it. So now Mississippi does have an outdoor stewardship trust fund. One of the things that compelled us is that we were only one of two states in the Southeast that didn't have such a fund. And we needed a fund like this in order to get federal matching funds. And most people are very familiar with the, with the uh, farm bill, things like the CRP and WRP and some very successful programs. But we're talking about, you know, over a billion dollars is available to states that they have matching funds to put with it. We were really, really compelled by states like Georgia. Our friends from Georgia who are listening know that you took about $20 million and made it nearly $100 million with federal matching funds. So we needed the fund. Uh, it took a couple of years. I think anytime it's, it's, it's hard to get everybody aligned, <clears throat> but it took us two years and incredible bipartisan support. And now we have a fund. The trustees have now already been selected. They're already beginning to meet. $10 million is in the fund this year. One, we, we expect maybe $20 million will come next year. There'll be work in the future about creating a dedicated funding source so we don't have to go back to the legislature every year to keep this fund. Um, you know, uh, you know, uh, the appropriations for this fund coming to it. But what it's going to do is uh, people, organizations and, and interested citizens will be able to actually apply for federal funds and then and then come to the state with projects that and I'm sure the state's going to put a big priority on those that have ma- big time matching funds with it because we want that. We want to leverage that $10 million. Sure. It's going to go to help, you know, outdoor recreation in the state. It might improve parks. It might improve public land. It might, you know, one of the one of the important major things that we did. You think about the amount of of of, uh, of land in the state that's that's privately owned, well over eighty percent. Then, you know, we wanted it to be able to apply to, to private land, and so that so it is now. So, we've got we've got now in place. Uh, a trust fund that can be used to leverage federal dollars that can lay a groundwork, a legacy really for our kids and our kids' kids to be able to enjoy the outdoors in Mississippi. And the point I always make, coming back to our point about Mississippi as the capital of outdoors, we think about you know the, the Primos team and Will, and you think about you think about Toxie Hayes and all these other guys from that in the outdoor industry that have been leaders, ambassadors. We should be leading the way on this one. And, and finally, I think we're going to be in that position to do it. So the big, big year for the state. And I look forward to seeing projects as we go forward. We, we needed to hit, hit it out of the park this first year, and I, I'm sure that we will. A hundred percent. One thing that, that was important for to touch on, I think it's worth mentioning, especially for this podcast, um, and you mentioned it a little bit, is, you know, like you said, is it, this is able to affect private lands as well. Now, Obviously, I'm a huge proponent for public lands. I use public lands. I, I mean, I, I hunted on public land yesterday. But as far as, like you said, private land ownership in Mississippi, well over 80%, you can't, to think about it, you can't make an effect on a state level scale if you're only affecting 10 to 15% of what land you have. You have yeah. to have it to where you can affect the entire state to have any sort of any significant result and so that that was huge i agree and you know you think about again the most amount of money most metal amount of federal matching money comes from the farm bill and you know farmers have private land you know the farm the farming industry in mississippi you know you can look at different 
barometers on this, but the most recent I've looked at is over $7 billion business in Mississippi. And outdoor recreation was in the realm of $8 billion, some ridiculous number like that. But you think about how outdoors men and women work with farmers around habitat and you know enhancement, mm-hmm. or important farmers are to the conversation. Um, we wouldn't be serious about conservation in this state if we didn't include private lands. And now, you know, what the beauty of it is now, we have tremendous bipartisan uh, agreement that in order to have a, a, a conservation program, an opportunity in this state to kind of push programs that are going to be generational, uh, we're going to lead the way in that arena now in, in such a cool way. And, and we're going to take conservation really, really seriously. So, you know, the other thing... Uh, I just mentioned, like, it was great to see this wide variety of organizations, nonprofits, and others, this coalition of people come together around this. And, uh, you know, we've got a lot of dedicated people in this state. We have people like James Cummings, for example, that literally wrote the book on private land conservation. So Mm -hmm. he's here in Mississippi, he's at Wildlife Mississippi. He was a real proponent of this and helped us. And Ducks Unlimited and the Nature Conservancy, I mean, just a wide range of incredible organizations. And now we have it, and uh, everyone's incredibly supportive, and we'll move forward, and we'll be we'll go forward with a lot of pride now. Yeah, without a doubt, it, it, it's it's awesome that we got it passed. I, I, I thank you for for the update. I thank you for working on it as much as you did, um, and I thank you for being willing to come on the show today. Like I said, I think I've gone a little bit longer than I told you that I would, but I appreciate it. I've enjoyed the conversation thoroughly. It's been a pleasure, man. I've I've been I've really enjoyed getting to know you better. Con- congratulations on getting the podcast moving, and uh, you know, Primos will continue to have a really important part of all of our lives. So, it's, you know, handle it well. And uh, by the way, also congratulations on your OnX uh, Hunt uh, Association. I think that's a terrific association. Thank you, thank you so much. I appreciate it. it, it it's all been very good, and I'm happy, very happy to have the podcast back. Um, one more thing before we get out of here. One more time, just make sure folks know where they can where they can hear you. Well, they have a, they can go to uh, Super Talk Outdoors on Facebook and just like our page. Uh, we just set it up and it's it's, do, it's doing actually really well already. And uh, if they're interested in what's happening in coastal Mississippi, my show Ricky Matthews slash Coast View. They can also go. That's on Facebook. You can also go to Super Talk Mississippi on YouTube or our Facebook as well. Or your favorite podcast. Just do. Super Talk Outdoors in the uh, in the search bar and it, it will pop up and you can enjoy the show there as well. So thank you, my friend. Yeah, thank you. We'll see you next time. That's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. Ricky is hands down one of my favorite people to talk to when it comes to the outdoors and he's such a great proponent for conservation. As always, if you have any questions, topics you want covered, anything like that, do not hesitate to reach out. Until then, we'll see y'all next week. As always, thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast presented by Onyx Hunt.